1: Participation can, is tricky, and I think that in the Design Justice Network, we're very interested in um, meaningful and deep participation and accountability uh, and sharing of benefits, whatever they may be, whether that's monetary benefits or credit for who came up with this thing, um, with everyone who's involved in the process, including um, community folks who may not identify as designers or product builders.
0: That is Sasha Costanza-Chak talking about their new book, Design Justice, Community-Led Practices to Build the Worlds We Need. This is New Books and Technology. I'm your host, Jasmine McNeely. The first thing we always like to do on New Books and Technology is to ask the author about themselves. So who is Sasha Costanza-Chak?
1: Okay. Um, So I am a researcher and a media maker and a designer Um, and I uh, work on network social movements um, and transformative media organizing and design justice. Um, Those are some of the areas that I'm known for contributing to and um, I come actually out of independent media making. So back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I participated in the Indie Media Network, the Independent Media Centers, which was an early network of um, social movement journalists, you could call it citizen journalism if you want, that um, came out of the global movement and was a very creative space for figuring out how to use what was then the new technology of the internet um, to tell stories that uh, uh, coming from social movements um, that often get excluded from mass media narratives. Um, through that process and working with indie media, I learned about free software and I learned about product design, actually. Um, and was involved in building some platforms for, um, for uh, documentary uh, circulation and subtitling and community screenings and a bunch of other stuff. The Indie Media Video Distribution Network. Okay. Um, and at that time, my role initially was more on um, video editing uh, and video production. So I was helping to make documentaries with the global justice movement. That led to sort of like helping to build platforms to circulate those documentaries. And then later I moved to Los Angeles where I did my doc. Um, and while I was there, I got very involved in the immigrant rights movement. Um, it was 2006. And The Sensenbrenner bill, which was an awful anti-immigrant proposal, um, triggered what was then the largest wave of street protests in the history of the United States, um, led by um, new immigrants saying that this is really unacceptable. Um, And so I was both researching that movement and looking at how they were using different media platforms um, to circulate ideas and different visions of what it meant to be immigrant in the United States everything from you know radio uh, to MySpace um, at the time. And I was also working myself as a volunteer with a couple different um, community-based organizations in LA that did immigrant rights work, like the Institute of Popular Education of Southern California, and the Garment Worker Center. And we were doing pirate radio stations and creating a platform called Boss Mob, or Voces Mobiles, or Mobile Voices, which was like a community blogging platform using... Um, dumb phones, uh, or accessible accessible phones phones without internet, but with cameras and the ability to call and send pictures. So we built a whole platform together. And during that time is when I really you know learned a lot more about participatory design um, and how do you how do you build a technology platform or a media platform you know together with um, with folks from. Uh, from working-class communities, um, basically. Mm-hmm. From there, I came to um, the Boston area. Um, I took a job at MIT as a professor of civic media, and I've been there for um, you know, uh, the last decade, basically. Um, and in that capacity, I've continued to do this kind of work. So I do a lot of participatory research with different social movements and social movement networks, and I do participatory design to kind of explore and build uh, different tools together with movement groups. And I worked with Occupy, I worked with um, LGBTQ and Two-Spirit organizations, um, worked with public interest technologists, and now most recently um, have been working with this growing community of design justice practitioners. Mm-hmm.
0: So you, you mentioned something I want to ask you about. You said you study networked social movements. What does that mean?
1: Um, Yeah, so this is kind of like um, within social movement studies that sort of comes out of a lot of it coming out of society. Um, There's this kind of turn in the late 90s and in the 2000s to think about um, what are the new possibilities for people who are trying to create social movements, circulate their ideas, mobilize people to advocate for those ideas and transform them into policy and cultural shifts. Um, What possibilities are opened um, in the networked information and communication technology space? So basically, what does it mean when movements go online? Um, And how does that interface with other types of uh, media making that have always been a part of social movement activity? Mm
0: -hmm. So what does it mean when movements go online?
1: (laughs) (laughs) My own contribution to that conversation, I think... Partly has been around um, keeping a focus on the divides um, and how they play out. And also, um, I constantly push back against the idea of um, thinking, about, thinking that you can analyze a social movement by only looking at what's happening online. Um, because social movements are about people organizing and mobilizing with one another. And there's all different types of spaces that movements develop within and the types of trust networks and community building that can happen um, face-to-face is extremely difficult to replicate um, in an online-only environment. And that doesn't mean that I'm saying there's no movements that are primarily online first or even quote-unquote only, Um, but in general, I'm interested in the way that networked communication tools become a new part of a complicated media ecology. And that means we have to think about how movement ideas and proposals circulate across the information space from broadcast media, which continues to be incredibly powerful, you know, television, Fox news, um, satellite radio, um, print media still drives a lot of the news, you know, cycle, um, And how that interacts with both the social media space and also other forms of communication um, that happen face to face or in your neighborhood or through, um, you know, zines and printmaking and posters and flyers um, and cultural spaces. Um, So I'm interested in the like, thinking about how they all interact together. Um, And I talk about that in terms of transformative media organizing in a newly complicated media ecology.
0: How do we get to design justice? What does that mean?
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I talked a little bit about how um, even from the early 2000s, I had started you know, personally getting involved in different projects to build new um, media platforms like the Indie Media Video Distribution Network or um, we built a project called Transmission um, which was like pre-YouTube uh, a platform for video activists to um, share video and short documentaries about work they were doing locally. Um, during my time in LA, I got involved in building this boss mob uh, platform for mobile uh, community journalism by day laborers and household workers. Um from the Institute of Popular Education of Southern California. And so through all that time, I was kind of learning more and more about how do you you design and build um, a platform, Um, so basically product design. And I was learning how to facilitate teams uh, of people that included the end users who were going to be using the platform, um, software developers who were doing back-end and front-end and graphic designers um, um, and how do, you, yeah, how do you work together with a team to build um, a working product basically. Um, so I learned about free software and agile development methods and drew a lot from that space and also from friends of mine who were working in the tech industry while also um, trying to figure out what does that look like in the context of a community space um, like EDEPSCA, the Institute of Popular Education, um, where people may not have a lot of computer literacy, may not have broadband, uh, in the home, um, may not even have, you know, internet on, on cell phones. And so, yeah, how do you figure out, um, how to build together with, um, communities that through reasons of hundreds of years of, Settler colonialism and historical oppression and racism and xenophobia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and capitalism and all of it have been excluded from, um, access to, uh, the latest, um, tools and computing skills and tools. Uh, so I would say like early on, that was, this was well before, um, the concept of design justice was something that, um, people were talking about or had developed, but, um, I was learning about participatory design methods and a little bit about the history of that type of work um, because there's a long history of people kind of asking that question, um, certainly in computing, but also in other domains, um, in architecture, in, in, in product, in industrial design, um, um, in, in many different sort of design subfields, there are histories of Uh, Radical designers thinking about what would it mean if we were spending our time um, and using the skills that we've developed um, to support the creation of a world that is more liberatory and inclusive and ecologically sustainable rather than um, mostly spending our time um, building things um, to make capitalists extremely wealthy. Um, and Or to frame it another way, um, building things for the 1%. Um, so there was this so sort of different different histories uh, of participatory design, collaborative design. Um, there's also been a turn, um, frankly, even in the corporate sector um, toward what's also often called human-centered design. So this comes out of the Stanford D School and the work of the firm ITO, mm-hmm. um, And so there's, on the one hand, there's a tradition of radical designers who have a critical political consciousness um, about what, de- what design might be doing to reproduce or challenge inequality. Um, and then there's also a parallel track of um, people from the corporate sector and increasingly from government saying... Um, If we don't include end users in design processes from the very early stages, um, that makes it harder to build things that really will work to solve the top user stories that will solve people's needs. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way to think about that is how smart people sitting in a room alone together will have an extremely difficult time building useful tools or interfaces or processes um, for something that's in a domain where they don 't have any lived experience, and that's something that's recognized across the board, including in the private sector um, and in, and in uh, state uh, led processes as well as in um, radical design or social justice design spaces mm-hmm. um, so I had some of this sort of you know background had done some of these you know projects before and Then in 2015 and in 2016, in Allied Media Conference, uh, which is an amazing space that happens every year in Detroit, where thousands of people from mostly around the US but also internationally get together uh, and share strategies for media making, for uh, liberation. I have been part of that space for many years. And in 2015, 2016, this community of people started to emerge within the Allied Media Conference around this concept of design justice. Um, So um, designers from different spaces were getting together at AMC um, and saying, you know, how can we um, shift the design field on the one hand to be more inclusive so that it's not Mostly, you know, the senior people in many design firms are still, you know, uh, straight, white, cis men. Um, You know, how can we shift this so that there's a greater diversity of people getting paid in design professions? But also, um, how do we rethink design beyond just highly professionalized uh, practice to... Um, a process that could potentially include people from different social movements and from communities that are marginalized under white supremacy, heteropatriarchy, cisnormativity, normativity ableism, settler colonialism, um, and other systems of historical and structural oppression and exclusion. Um, how can we rethink that and say, what... What would design as a field be like if we reimagined it to be about amplifying um, community ideas and community voices, um, asset-based approaches, community-led approaches, um, you know, what would we have to reformulate um, that we've learned as designers from our different perspectives, whether that be graphic design, human-computer interaction, architecture? landscape design, et cetera, et cetera, um, to do this type of work in a different way. This is a quote from the introduction to the new book. Um, mm-hmm. The Design Justice Network was born at the Allied Media Conference in the summer of 2015, when a group of 30 designers, artists, technologists, and community organizers took part in the workshop, generating shared principles for design justice. The workshop was planned by Una Lee, Jenny Lee and Melissa Moore and presented by Yuna Lee and Wesley Taylor. Um, And so there's this group of 30 people get together, make a set of principles, which then start circulating really widely. And at this point, there are now over a thousand people have signed on to those principles. Um, And um, there's a membership organization called the Design Justice Network that now has about 150 Um, paid members. Um, It's a sliding scale and you can also donate time um, rather than money. Um, But that group is now organizing local meetups in different cities um, and different spaces to think about what do the design justice principles look like uh, locally and to organize um, um, different types of activities, design projects, resources, um, and a community uh, of people who share uh, this, this general approach.
0: What you seem to be getting into are the design justice principles, Mm. um, which are, which have to do with things like making sure you're not being extractive and, um, allowing for different kinds of voices. So when you were, were you a part of creating the design justice principles?
1: Yeah. Yes, I have been part of creating them. Um.
0: So perhaps you could talk about like kind of the, the motivations for having like a set of principles that could be
1: used widely. Um, Yeah, I think that it was, um, it's been useful to have um, kind of a touchstone um, for people to say, yeah, design justice. That sounds like a cool concept. What is, what would that look like? (laughs) And right now, We're actually getting to a place where a lot of people are starting to share and write up um, how they've been putting the principles into practice and what these principles mean for them in their own either um, personal practice as a designer or if they don't identify as a designer. uh, Maybe there there are people who are community organizers who have been working with other people um, who are designers and are saying, we're using these principles and we're finding them valuable for running our process. But um, maybe I could just share them. And then we could talk about them a little more. Yeah. Okay. So these are the design justice principles and you can find them, um, at designjustice.org. Um, and there's 10 of them. principle one. Um, actually this would be more fun if we like do them together. Do you want to go back and forth with them? Okay. So I'm going to, um, read principle one and then you do two and we'll go back and forth. Okay. All right. Okay. Principle one, we use design to sustain, heal, and empower our communities, as well as to seek liberation from exploitative and oppressive systems.
0: Principle two, we center the voices of those who are directly impacted by the outcomes of the design process.
1: Principle three, we prioritize design's impact on the community over the intentions of the designer.
0: Principle four, we view change as emergent from an accountable, accessible, and collaborative process rather than as a point at the end of a process.
1: Principle five, we see the role of the designer as a facilitator rather than an expert.
0: Principle six, we believe that everyone is an expert based on their own lived experience and that we all have unique and brilliant contributions to bring to a design process.
1: Principle seven, we share design knowledge and tools with our communities.
0: Principle eight, we work towards sustainable, community-led and controlled
1: outcomes. Principle nine, we work towards non-exploitative solutions that reconnect us to the earth and to each other, and I'm going to read the principle ten with you. Okay, principle ten. Principle ten. Before, Before seeking, seeking new, new design,
0: design solutions, solutions, we look for what is it's already
1: working. working. <laughs> this is not working. <laughs> you it, you it.
0: <laughs> Before seeking new design solutions, we look for what is already working at the community level. We honor and uplift traditional, indigenous, and local knowledge and practices. So, in all of these, what is the goal?
1: Uh, The goal is to transform the way that people think about design, what it is and how it can operate, Mm -hmm. um, and to shift the practices that people are using to build the world.
0: So is this about power?
1: Design is definitely always about power.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What would a liberatory design look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... So let me try and think more concretely, right? So, um, for example, um, one shift would be um, as people are building new tools and products and applications, um, there's this tendency, there's like a, a techno solutionist tendency. Um, that is pretty rampant in our society and culture where um, it's kind of like tech bro mentality. Mm. It says, oh, let's hack healthcare and fix it. And I'm going to, you know, make a new app. There's an app for that would be the catchphrase. Um, And so the idea is that people um, who often, frankly, are privileged white cis men, although not exclusively so, um, We'll kind of get together and say, I think there's potential uh, because this system seems to be pretty broken. um, And so let's solve it with a technological fix. And if we get enough smart people in a room uh, and get some venture capital, we can create a new application and we can find a way um, to fix it. And I think a lot of that is well-meaning. Um, but principle three says that we prioritize design's impact on communities over the intentions of the designer. Um, so I think that that approach, design justice, would see that shift towards an approach that said, first of all, um, is do we need a design solution for this, or do we need to step back and think about the broader um, system here, and is there a higher level kind of, you know, policy redesign that needs to happen more than a quick uh, tech fix. Not that those things are always mutually exclusive. Sometimes you can make tools that can slightly mitigate uh, pain in a particular, you know, situation while you're also advocating for a larger policy shift. We get that. But, um, you know, in this context, you would say, well, we need to do a discovery process where we're going to include you know people who are really being harmed in our current you know healthcare system, do we need to focus our time and energy and resources on new application and or do we need to um, look around the world, for examples of other better functioning systems that deal with this problem, like most of the advanced economies that have a uh, universal healthcare you know system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one shift would be um, that early on in any design process, rather than jump right to a technical fix, you would say, What's our, What's already working, um, and do we need a, a tech fix, um, or are there other other intervention, you know, places? Then, when you've if you have identified an area where you think there does need to be some, you know, design intervention or innovation, again, it's like you'd figure out how do we how do we find the resources um, to get people who are going to be most impacted by this, um, whatever it is that we build. At the table from early on as co-owners of this process, and ideally, this is something where the proposal would be coming from that community directly, and then the designers are just supporting that. Um, so, right now, for example, there's a really interesting conversation happening among um, nurses and frontline healthcare providers who have started to like um, read about and work with design justice principles. Um, And so apparently there's this whole community of like hacker and maker nurses um, who for um, years have been sort of, you know, hacking um, both medical devices um, as well as, you know, processes um, at the point of care um, and doing really innovative, interesting stuff. But then... um, the people who often receive the big grants um, to do medical device innovation, it's, it's doctors. Um, and so the design justice would say, well, maybe that needs to shift. Um, which doesn't mean that like no doctor should ever be a medical device innovator or designer. It's just that um, if there's this whole like community that's um, coming up with really creative and interesting, you know, redesign um, because they're spending the most time um, like at the interface with the patient, and of course, nurses—that's like gendered and raced um, differently than you know uh, doctors within a stratified medical profession. Um, you know that maybe we would—it would make sense to allocate you know more resources both to uh, nurses and nurse practitioners, as well as to uh, organizations that um, advocate for patients and patients' rights that um, kind of come out of um, communities that are most by medical disparity, Um, and that through that combination, maybe you would come up with some really um, interesting new approaches to device and process uh, redesign.
0: What do you hope people get from your book?
1: Um, I hope that people get a mix of inspiration um, about, you know, I I really tried in the book to do a good balance between um, critique of the ways that some of the existing Design systems are broken. Um, Inspiration in terms of the way that there is such a huge community of people who are trying to think about how to do design work differently in many different fields. And also uh, some history, because I do spend a fair amount of time in the book looking at history and theory um, around um, different ways of doing design and different ways of thinking about what design is and how it works um so that's i think that's what's in store for readers of the book and i also hope that people take you know there's a lot of there's a lot of high level ideas in the book although i do try and ground it um with with a lot of examples as well but i really you know hope that people from different fields will take some of the concepts and ideas in the book and remix them and uh work with them and write about and share um, what it means to apply some of both the design justice principles and some of the other concepts in the book um, to their field.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you, just like as a, as a follow-up to that, how do you employ design justice in the things that you currently do, whether it's teaching at a university, doing, conducting research, um, advising community groups, those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, I think in a lot of ways. um, One, I'll give a really concrete example because I've been so abstract. Um, One thing that um, we can do, and that I do personally, is when I'm writing grant proposals um, to do design projects of any kind, um, I always make sure to write in line items um, for community based organizations um, that I partner with um, to be able to. Um, to fully participate in the design process. And in some cases, actually in the best case, the grant can be run, like the grant is for the community-based organization, and then they get line items to hire um, designers and developers and other like product team people that they need to to make the thing that they wanna make. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, because we live under gendered racial capitalism, um, lots of times, the funders don't want to give the money directly to the community-based organizations. They want to give it to the bigger um, institutions that they think are "quote unquote" you know safer or more trustworthy or whatever. Um, so, in that scenario, um, you know what I do is I um, work with community-based organizations as partners. We put together a grant proposal together um, based on some design work that we know we want to do. Maybe we're um, gonna, maybe we are going to build a new app, or maybe we're going to build, or maybe we're going to design some like graphic materials for um, uh, an issue campaign or something like that. Um, and we'll make sure that the budget actually reflects the time and energy it's going to take um, from the community organization side um, to be able to be at the table through every stage of the process um, rather than just in a brief like consultation or like a test. Group at some moment, and then we also in um, you know in, in the processes that I work on when um, we sign MOUs with the community partners that really clearly spell out um, who's going to be responsible for what, who's going to get paid what, and then who's going to get credit and visibility you know for this thing that we make together, and so that means assigning um, yeah like uh, whether it's whether it's an intellectual property frame or um, another frame, it's basically like um, we're always going to make sure that the story of this thing that we built, um, you know, centers and talks about, um, you know, the community partners um, who who were really, um, you know, part of it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if there's money to be made from the thing that we made together, um, how is that, how is that going to be split? Um, And ideally the community partner will just take, the project and it will be theirs. Um, But I recommend that that's also not, that depends where you're coming from. Like I have the luxury of doing that because I have another source of income. So for some people who might be listening to this and saying like, well, I'm a designer and I can't just like give away my, um, you know, my revenue generating work for free. Totally get that. The point is to make those types of decisions explicit and um, a shared understanding between all the partners in the design process. So who's going to get like what, um, on the other end of the thing. Who's going to own the product um, and um, being clear about all of that rather than being extractive about it. How can people get involved with Design Justice? Um, people can get involved by going to designjustice.org. Um, there's a lot of resources there. We have a series of zines um, that we publish. Um, the, the PDFs are free or you can buy like the print versions uh, online and they'll be sent to you. Um, those there's um, workshop materials that we've created and share with people. Um, we have, uh, if the principles resonate with you, you can sign on to them as just a signatory to the principles. And if you really want to get deeply involved in the network, you can become a member of the network, which is, um, we have a sliding scale uh, monthly membership uh, dues, which can be anything. Um, or you can also contribute time instead of money. Um, and then if you become a member, you'll get access to, Um, Well, we're currently using uh, Slack and a mailing list, um, and there are active working groups doing all different types of projects, everything from uh, creating new zines and creating new workshop materials to um, yeah, just developing different types of resources for different kinds um, to share and use um, as we try and work together. Um, to build a different kind of world too. What's next for you? I had a book tour planned, which is now canceled (laughs) due to COVID-19. So I am actually exploring different creative ways um, of sharing the book and talking about it with people. So I have a couple things that are, you know, lined up um, um, that you can learn about, I think probably by Uh, going to my website, shock.cc, or by following me on Twitter at shock, S-C-H-O-C-K.
0: Cool. Well, thank you for, you know, talking to me today and talking about design justice.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much and stay safe.